All right, we want to welcome everybody back to Coffee and Conversation. This is part two of our conversation with um, our local law enforcement partners. So for those of you who heard the first round, great. For those of you who haven't, um, we are being joined today by Lonnie Raymond, Chief of Probation for Del Norte County, Chief Richard Griffin, the Chief of Police for Crescent City Police Department, and Commander Larry DP of the California Highway Patrol. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Or I should say welcome back. Um, And for those of you I haven't met, I'm Jeff Harris, Superintendent of Schools for Del Norte County Unified and Del Norte County Office of Education. So, guys, we we talked a lot in the first round of the podcast about how you got into this, about your motivation for doing it, why kids were so important. Um, Great conversation. But in this part, let's kind of move into more... um, maybe some more targeted or some more current issues. Um, so something you may have all heard about, there's something called COVID-19. <laughs> I have to expand on that. <laughs> well, heard a thing or two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've all been living the dream of responding to um, restrictions that have been placed on us by California Department of Public Health or by governor executive orders and the fallout in our own community with families and, and um, businesses and students. From your perspectives, um, each of you deal with things very uniquely and very differently, even though you are all um, first responders, law enforcement. How do you feel that COVID-19 has kind of impacted Del Norte County? I know that's a broad question, but. Well, I guess I'll start out with uh, COVID-19 has definitely been a moving target for us. You know, it ebbs and flows. Um the requirements and the restrictions are change. They can change hourly for, for anything or daily. And so we're just trying to make sure that everybody is safe and just do what you can to be safe and not spread, not just COVID-19, but any disease, any um, virus or any bacteria, you know, wash your hands, do all the stuff that you likely should be doing anyways. And so from our point of view, we just want people to be safe. And so I know that there's restrictions and we certainly try to respect those uh, restrictions and um, everybody has a right to put restrictions on their own businesses. And I would just say respect those uh, restrictions and respect those people's wishes and and do what they're asking you to do. And if that's what is being asked of us, then kind of just fall in line with that for the time being. So I think as far as the impact it's had um you know Delnut county's already social distance itself normally um <laughs> the way we operate up here we're, we're you know the true northern california to begin with it's distance from everywhere else so as far as that i don't see it affecting us as much where it really hit home for my department in the city at least was i mean we rely a lot on the transit occupancy tax uh, visitors coming to the town spending money um and you know filling up those hotels so, I mean, we took a hit at the police department, uh, $141,000, I think it was, this budget, you know, because we're everybody's doing this what they can to help the budget. And when you don't have that forecasted budget out there, you know, the city team gets together, did an excellent job. You know, Mr. Weir and Linda Lever working on that and everybody's got to help out. So um, that's the biggest thing for us is we it's the unsure future of, you know, what we're getting to because it changes daily, weekly, you know, depends on who talks to who or what happens, but um, that's what we thrive on is, you know, visitors coming to the county and, and staying here. And 
for our standpoint, the police department, you know, I, I bought some masks, some neck gaiters and stuff for the, the officers to wear. I did tell them, you know, if you go into a building and people or you go into a house or you can't maintain that distance, yeah, you should put it on and use it. Um, set that example for sure. And it's it's hard because there's people on both sides for sure. You know, the people think it's unconstitutional. That you put these orders down and then the other ones are like, no, it's an order. So you need to wear it. And there's um some people that are heavily on both sides, like very far extreme on both sides. So, but it's just kind of doing the right thing also. And like Mr. DP said, is, you know, businesses, yeah, the businesses can put restrictions. You know, if they say, hey, everybody coming to my business has to wear a tiara and you got to wear a tiara to go in there. If you don't want to, then you're not allowed to go in there. You know, what they can't do is say, hey, all Asians or, or black or you, they have to wear it, but nobody else. That that would be where it'd be unconstitutional. But um. Yeah, so that's kind of how it affected us. And, you know, we're cleaning things more often for sure, sanitizing once, twice a day, um, having our briefings sometimes out in the parking lot, most times out in the parking lot now, you know, so we can do those things because on our department, you know, we're 12 sworn right now. And if one of us gets it, you know, for to quarantine, it's going to be a heavy hit because you're quarantining six people. And then now we got to shift coverage and we don't have the budget for that. We're going to be asking for assistance from CHP and the sheriff for a couple of weeks and, we're just trying to avoid that for sure because, you know, our service level hasn't stopped at all. We haven't stopped responding to calls at all. We go to every call um, and we're still proactive out there, you know, trying to keep the streets clean so the visitors want to come. So it's kind of extended, but that's how it's affected us. Well, I'm just glad to know that I finally have a use for my tiara. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> and, and also just kind of building on that a little bit is, you know, if one of his officers gets COVID-19 or test positive for it, likely a lot of our officers are going to test positive for it too okay. because we do respond to calls together. We, we have a great relationship with all of our allied agencies. And so wherever they picked it up, it's likely there was another officer or deputy or such of a different agency on that same call. Right. And so they probably will get it as well. And so we're exposed to it all the time. And so again, just kind of going back to just trying to be safe and do what we can. Well, and Rich, you'd even said as, as visitors are coming in, that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because if we've got people that are coming in, if we get an, a visitor from Imperial County who's all the way back in stage one in full stay-at-home orders, and it's 115 degrees, and they want to come up here where the, we have no active cases and today, and um, they want to get out of that heat, then all of you have officers that are exposed to that potentially from people out of the area, just, just in, just in a, a very routine kind of way. Yeah. And I, and I look at it also back to the marketing standpoint of, we want you to come to this County. And if we're telling you now, Hey, don't come here and put a sour taste in your mouth. Maybe you don't want to come back next year. And, you know, being heavy handed on any of that stuff isn't going to help us out in the, financially in the future by far. And so we kind of keep those in considerations also, but yeah. As you're thinking about the health and safety of your He's officers that are out there 100%. doing the work. And, yep. and what Mr. DP said is, I mean, even just today, I just went and talked to a person in the parking lot and probation guy's driving by. So he's doing the right thing. Stop and make sure I have, I don't know if that was you or not, but um, one of you guys did the right thing because I was out with a guy that was an officer safety issue. So he drove by and made sure I was good. But that's what we do. I mean, we don't, yeah, we have different uniforms and everything, different you know, areas, but we all back up each other no matter what. And there is those times where it's not, you don't have all the time to put the mask on in the world or it's going to come off during a fight, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, we, if one of us gets it, it's a high chance that there's going to be a lot of officers on quarantine. Lonnie? I think you should have picked a more 
difficult question. <laughs> I mean, it's a simple to answer. Yeah, throw that softball. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, these guys have covered a lot of stuff. I suppose the thing I'll focus on is, um, you know, in in probation's world, the word reasonable comes up a lot. Um, you know, we deal with terms and conditions that are issued out by the court for people granted probation. Those terms have to be reasonable. My officer's uh, directions and directives to folks on probation, they have to be reasonable um, based out of those court orders. And, um, you know, I think the one of the things that comes to mind most often when I'm thinking about this whole situation we've been dealing with for months and will continue to deal with is our responses, our decisions, they have to be reasonable. They have to be based um, not only in emotion, because I think emotion can can play a part. Um, you know, you can't def- deny that um, the possibility of getting a virus and dying is fear, you know, it fills a person with fear and rightfully so. Um, but it can't be only that. I mean, we have to look at how our community... Um, how the people in our community live live their lives. What our what our goals, what our purpose uh, is, and and how can we make reasonable decisions and respond reasonably to this in such a way that we can continue to live life. Um, you know, one of the things that that I decided to do that um, wasn't common across the state is my office stayed open throughout all of this. You know, there's no question across the state that police departments and CHP and sheriff's offices were staying open and continuing to do business and continuing to do their jobs. But probation's a little unique. And there were a lot of departments across the state that closed their offices and had folks only working from home. Um, But this whole situation highlighted for me the necessity, the the critical importance of probation, because when every other support mechanism for people on probation was closed and was unavailable, the only one they had to call was their PO. Um, we had calls from our folks who uh, were struggling with issues. And, and that's a, a lot of times that's why they end up on probation. They struggle um, managing the stress of life and uh, they have low coping skills. One of our, our goals is to try and help develop that so that when they hit the issues that life brings inevitably for any of us, they know how to deal with that in a way that, um, they can manage to get through. They can manage to, to do things in a way that doesn't get them in trouble with the law. Um, and so we had those calls, uh, from people who are trying to, to put in practice those things and they didn't have anywhere else to turn except to their PO. Um, and, and I can't think of a, a more relevant example of why probation needs to exist than that. Well, and I, again, I'm going to go back to kind of what we talked about during the first half of the podcast. <clears throat> it really is about service. It's about new paths for people. It's about helping them discover places that they can go, but they may have been blind to previously, right? I mean, whether it's, um, whether it's my son who got into the act, his, his first accident, the very first time he took my truck out after he got his driver's license and Larry, your officers <laughs> did him an amazing job. Okay. <laughs> uh, your truck though. It, it was, it, uh, it was going to be his truck, but it's still mine. Um, but you know, uh, you know, having those folks to be supportive during, during times of crisis. And I think for the past four months, COVID-19 has been a time of crisis that nobody ever saw coming. Um, 
it's been hugely important. So, you know, we think about kind of what that means. So a lot of our kids right now are facing trauma. They're facing um, uh, a lot of insecurities. You know, our, our school district over three months, just from March 16th until um, uh, June, I don't know if it was June 30th or the middle of June, we served over a quarter or almost a quarter million meals to students and families who just were having food insecurity. Then we throw on the fact that um, I heard from Department of Health and Human Services that the number of um, susp- uh, child abuse reports had decreased by over 40% because, you know, it's a lot of our staff that really kind of pick those things up. It's a lot of child care, daycare providers that pick those reports up. Um, so we know when school starts again, in whatever form it starts, we're going to have some kind of, I, I think we're going to have some significant opportunities to um, help kids heal, to help families find a new normal um, and return to normal as much as they can. Um, I, I mentioned earlier some of our partnerships, whether that was with um, kind of what we had with truancy, with probation at the county level, the SROs, or um, emergency and crisis planning. In thinking about the next year um, and in thinking about continuing our partnership and expanding, um, supporting our families, how do you guys see those services um, maybe morphing or or strengthening or what? what? What do you think that might look like? Well, I think from our point of view over at the CHP, it's just going to make us stronger because we'll have gone through this and we'll have come out on top like we always do. We'll We'll figure out a way. And so we're going to continue to support the kids. We're going to continue to support the community. We're going to continue to be service-orientated. And so I would say that we're just going to push forward and into that new norm, and we'll show up at the schools just like we did in the past, and we will just continue moving forward. Um, we all accepted some risk, and if that risk is COVID-19, then we'll, we'll accept that risk and still try to provide that service to the kids and the community and the schools. Yeah, I'll echo that for sure. I mean, we understand our risks. That's one of them. Um, I think from my department standpoint, I know from my department standpoint, what we're going to do is more integration, more being there um, offers then. I definitely plan on doing the reading program that I wanted to do at least once a month, going to different schools and reading books to kids. Got a lot out of that last time we took um, our canine, Lieutenant Kai. You know, you can do anything you want and talk to kids and everything. You bring that dog in and it's the dog's the show, but, oh, yeah. but that helps in getting there and what support we can do. Um, and yeah, we, I totally agree. We, we've made it through this. We're going to make it through it. We don't have any other options and we're, we'll make it through and be stronger and however we can support and do that. And just by being there, number one, but definitely see us more there, more present at games, uh, stuff like that. If we act, if we end up having them, hopefully yeah, everybody uh, cross those fingers, yeah. we're going to find out Monday. So, and if not, then, I mean, there's definitely going to be kids out there trying to burn off some steam, stuff like that. So just our interactions with them and trying to figure out more stuff to do. We've got a few programs we're looking at, uh, at the police department also, hopefully to get those instated. So, um, our Explorer program definitely got a donation late, uh, recently of $7,500 to start that back up. So it's on standby right now, of course, because we can't meet in person, but we're trying to figure out things and designing new badges and patches and stuff like that. So, and we got several kids already interested in it. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be cool. I, the, I know the Sheriff's Explorer program works really well. And I think if we can kind of push these out and, and we talked earlier too in the first podcast about how did you get into law enforcement? I think the more exposure, the more interactivity, the more um, uh, positive interactions that our kids are having, which you're all very much on board with, uh, 
I'd, I'd like to see many of our kids come back and serve in, in first responder capacities in Delaware County. I, I just think that's how it, in that service piece, that's how we make this a better place. It's, it's our people making our place better. Lonnie. Yeah. Our involvement in school attendance and truancy from the beginning has been about, um, connecting kids and families with resources. Um, and it's been a huge partnership with the district, the district attorney's office. Uh, a lot of people are involved in that because it's important to get kids in school. The big question right now is what does school look like? And I think all of us are sitting here kind of in the same boat as any other parent because we've all got kids in that position. And so we're trying to figure that, that out at at same time as everybody else. Um, yeah, just, just to be clear, we're trying to figure that out. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so... But once it, however, however it comes out, however school, uh, whatever it looks like this year, um, we're going to be involved in in trying to help continue to connect those kids and families with the resources they need, so that their kids can be successful in school. Because you know, I said it in the earlier podcast, but this is the long game for us, because it's so critical that these kids have the opportunity to learn, to be educated, to have their eyes open to what the world can be, um, to to see that you know the experiences that they can have in life are um, possibly so much more than they've ever thought they could be. And so you know, whether it's distance learning, whether it's you know in school. Um, part of the week, uh, how a blend of those two, whatever it might be, you know, our role in jumping back into this is going to be the same as it's ever been. It might look a little different, but, you know, Officer Hernandez uh, for the next year, he's going to be out there knocking on doors saying, how can we help connect you and your kids to school? How can we make this easier for you? Um, because it's important. Yeah. And uh, just echoing a little bit of what Chief Griffin said, too, with the sports, you know, we can't forget that they're there. It's super easy right now because we're just not playing sports. But we got to remember that all of these programs are still there and they still need our help. They still need our support, um, whether it be through fundraisers or just uh, getting equipment together or making sure that we're ready when the time comes. Um, I know recently there's been some fundraisers for some local um groups, you know, just continue to be involved in that. I think that's important to not forget about them for when the time comes. And still getting chippy out there, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get chipper out there for sure. <laughs> yep. Just, we'll still go. Yep. No, that's great. So guys, what, as we kind of wrap up this segment, this part two, what's on the horizon for you, Rich? I, I know that uh, you and I had I'm sorry, you and I have talked a little bit about a backpack project that you have coming up. Yeah. So um, it was actually started or the idea came from one of my officers, Magnolia Valero. Uh, she approached me last week. We were just talking about things and um, she had done a program before down south in San Diego, uh, got backpacks with school supplies for kids. And we kind of started talking about it, morphed a little bit, I gave you a call, get an idea of, you know, supplies to get for the kids. Um we came kind of to understand it. Maybe third grade was a good target area for a transition to get. Um, so between me and Magnolia, we put a um, a goal of thirty backpacks. We figured probably be about thirty bucks total with the backpack and supplies. Maybe that's just what we're guessing. I'm thinking we can do it a little cheaper, maybe, but 
you know, if we had that goal. So I already pledged, you know, for five backpacks myself. I'm in it to it for 150. Um, the city manager, Eric Weir, he matched that. So, um, like I said, before we started talking, I'll put challenge out there if people want to. But that's that's just our goal this year. And we picked Joe Hamilton. Uh, we figured we'd just donate the backpacks there. And then the school can figure out, you know, they'll they'll know better than us which kids need it. Um, and if not, then hold on to them, you know, classes. Because my my thought is whether you're in home or you're in school, you're still going to need those supplies. Right. You're still going to be doing stuff and you're, you're going to need the crowns and the paper and the, you know, scissors and everything. So, um, and I thought it was an excellent program. I totally supported with it. So we're going to roll that out, um, in the city council meeting on Monday and, uh, hopefully establish a budget line with the council guidance so that we can take donations. Uh, if people want to donate stuff to the PD, you can bring it in, you know, we'll, we'll sanitize it and keep it there. And then we'll, uh, pick a date between me and you and we'll donate it to Joe Hamilton. That's great. Any, any, any near future plans for either of you guys? I would like to just see us uh, continue to evolve. Uh, this is a complicated time for law enforcement and a lot of, uh, a lot of other agencies, but um, we just need to evolve, come out on top and continue to do what we're doing and uh, develop new programs to suit the needs of what's being asked of us and obviously remain transparent and continue to carry out our mission as best we can, I think, is our, our short term and long term goal at this point. Yeah, we're going to be busy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, you know, continuing to do the things that we have. Um, we're going to be busy and and it's going to require all of us to be super flexible in how we respond and, and take what we have done and, and tweak it to apply to, to our new environment. Um, and the things we're dealing with, like Rich said, on a daily changing basis sometimes. Well, you know, and I think the funny thing is when, when all of these shutdowns came, everybody just thought, well, everybody's in my boat, right? So if you were a stay, if you were in under a stay at home order and you were at home, I don't think people really understood that law enforcement was still out doing everything every day that law enforcement did that maybe honestly, your calls may have increased because of things going on at homes, because people were, were, you know, kind of more cloistered. Um, but you guys have been working hard. Um, and this doesn't diminish the work that you're doing. I actually, it probably makes it exponentially more difficult. Yeah, it increases it a, a bit and, and it's untested water, so to speak. Yeah. We, you know, a lot of the responses that we have now, we are working through. Right. They're, they're not, you know, quote unquote routine. They're, they're all new to us. Well, so one thing I just want to say before we get off, and, and Rich, you had mentioned it, or not at say, but one question to ask. You had mentioned earlier, without the occupancy tax, that's a huge source of revenue for the police department. Um, I know the school board was looking at a bond. What's going to happen on the November ballot? And um, we're not endorsing or not endorsing anything. But on the November ballot, there's going to be a sales tax measure. If that tax were to pass, what does it mean for the department? So it means a lot for the city, not just the department itself, but um, it's a general tax. So it's it's it would help out the city police department, fire department. Um, it's also going to go for the roads. Um, and basically, it's a 1% tax, so a penny on the dollar. And it's expected it would generate about $1.3 I think it is. For my department specifically, we, we would look at um, having full shifts of a sergeant and two officers. And it would add a detective on that also. Currently, what we have, 
our staffing plan allows for a sergeant and officer on each shift. And then we have a cover shift from uh, noon to midnight. And it kind of floats depending on when calls or service get uh, heavy. Um, so that would really fill us out and help us. You know, we can do a lot more with the three people that we have on. And that makes the city a lot safer. Uh, you know, we can handle our own calls uh, all the time and major events, stuff like that. So um, the biggest thing that would do for us is that would be um, it would always be there. It would be sustainable. It's we're not worrying about, you know, we had a bad visitor year this year, next year. It's and, and that money would be there through the sales tax. Um, it also um, it's a good thing, I think, because it's not just the city residents that would be paying for it. It's those visitors from Imperial County, from Nebraska, from wherever they're coming in, they're paying to stay here and, and they're getting you know products, everything to while they're here. So that's, you know, they're using the services also while they're here or for things that are happening. So it's not just, you know, um, coming from one source. It's, it's people that are actually using those services overall. So, but it's also going to be sustainable for the fire department is a big thing. You know, we have, uh, uh, the only person being paid right now, I believe is the fire chief. I think they had one other position that's been put on hold. Um, but that's a volunteer fire department. It's an amazing department for, for being that for sure. But if you look at it, I mean, when I first moved here, I thought it was a paid fire department. And most people do. They don't understand. You know, that's people that have a job themselves. They get a call for service when they're off time and they wake up, they go out there and they handle their business and they do it very well. Um, but that's not sustainable for the future. You know, um, it requires a lot out of people, a lot of stress working both those jobs. So um, that would help being a funded fire department. And then uh, it would also help with the city being able to do projects, you know, front street project, um, streets, keeping things and really help turn the corner, I think, for the city um, into making it that destination city, you know, Carmel, Monterey, things like that. You see, that's where I want to go. That's we're, we're already there, I think, but we really just turn that corner being, you know, one of the top ones and, and it would be a great thing, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I'd heard a lot about it. I just didn't know what all it was going to encompass. So I, I appreciate the, um, the information. Before I forget the one major thing on it that I really like is it's going to have a committee, an oversight committee attached to it. So that would include, um, for advisors, it would be the city manager, Eric Weir and the finance director, Linda Lever. There'd be five citizens selected by the city council that would actually sit on that committee and review the funds and make sure it's going to where, you know, the citizens want it. I think that's very key because a lot of times you get taxes and it's used for something else or and that makes a lot of people not happy, including myself. So that was a very big thing for me is, you know, it's going to make sure that those funds are used the way people want them to be used and it's going to stay local. You know, the other taxes, most times like the gas tax and everything, we don't get a lot of that to stay local. Um, this is local. It goes right back to the city and helps it be a better place to live. Thank you for that. Uh, again, just it's good information. So gentlemen, thank you all for the time that you've given me today. Um, Larry, Rich, Lonnie, um, I really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much that I've enjoyed working with each of you and your staffs and the leadership that you bring to your individual organizations, but also the um, the leadership you just bring to our community and that willingness to work for the betterment of our youth. And like Lonnie said, this is the long game. Uh, that's why we do what we do. That's why I do what I do. 
And, you know, we start educating students and we start providing services in the school district from birth until adult. Um, and I know you do that too. So we often walk parallel paths, but in those times when um, our purposes do cross and they align where we work together, you've been phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal partners. So I just want to say thank you very much. Um, and we wish you and your officers and your staffs the best as they continue to support our community. Thanks, thank Jeff. you. Thank you.